Thank you, praise team. All right, we're going to jump uh, into the scriptures. We're doing a series on snapshots of the early church. Snapshots of the early church, really studying the book of Acts. Not going through the whole book, but going through different sections of the book of Acts. And today we're going to be looking at what saves us. What saves us? And the answer, of course, is grace through faith. See, as all these Gentiles started coming to faith way back in the first century here, uh, it, it sort of caused some confusion among the early church. They didn't know what to do with it. This is all new. What do we do with all of these out-and-out pagans, you know, that don't know anything about God, all of a sudden now coming to faith in Jesus? And finally, by chapter 15, so you can open your Bibles to Acts 15, verses 1 to 21, they come to a turning point. They come to a stage in which they've got to really deal with this. Let's talk about what does it mean that all of these Gentiles are coming to faith? What actually saves them or saves us? Uh, like one commentator writes about chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council, that it has been described as the turning point, the centerpiece, and the watershed of the book. The episode which rounds off and justifies the past developments and makes those to come intrinsically possible. This is the turning point of the book of Acts. What saves us? And their answer is, it's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we receive God's grace, His unmerited favor to us. That there's no ritual, there's no ceremony, it's not circumcision, it's not baptism, it's not communion, there's no special prayer, there's no ritual. We're saved by God's grace that is given to us through faith in Jesus. And if you've wondered about this issue... Or you've heard other people, perhaps other religions, other groups say that, no, no, you have to have this, you have to do this specific thing in order to be saved. Here's the good news. This is a settled issue. (laughs) The church met in Acts 15, they wrestled with this, and they settled the issue. It is grace through faith that saves us. Look with me in Acts 15, 1 to 21. Acts 15, 1 through 21, as we look at what actually saves us, and as the early church wrestles with this very question. We read this, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's it. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, They passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared that all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, 
just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to, Paul, to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. We're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus alone. There's a breakdown in your bulletin if you're interested in looking and following along and maybe even taking notes. Just three, we're going to break this up into three sections. First, one through five, be mindful that many don't believe <laughs> that it's by grace through faith. So we're saved by grace through faith alone, but not everybody believes that. What happens? We learn that there's a group that comes from Jerusalem. So you remember those who were here last week, you got this new church totally in Gentile territory, mixed made of Jews and Gentiles, but it's in Antioch. It's growing really fast, but they share a lot of the same people from Jerusalem. Some of the teachers and prophets are coming from Jerusalem. They're coming over to Antioch. Well, we learn that there's a group of brothers, of, of, these, uh, uh, of, of folks from Jerusalem who come there, and they look at all that is happening there, and they look at all these Gentiles who are now claiming to follow the Lord Jesus, and they say, no, all, all these people need to get circumcised. <laughs> if they're going to be saved, they have to be circumcised. Now, you might say, what's the point of that? I mean, what, why even point to circumcision is that important? Well, you got to understand it was the sign of the covenant, Really, to be circumcised meant that you were now becoming Jewish. So, you could be a God-fearer, you could believe in the God of the Jews, you could obey some of the laws if you wanted to, you could obey the dietary laws and, and all that, but you really weren't considered Jewish unless you got circumcised. All right? That's that final step of you now have the sign of the covenant on you. So really what they're saying is, it's really not just about circumcision. What they're saying is, these people need to obey the law of Moses. They need to be submitted to the law of Moses and basically become Jews. Convert to Judaism and then they can be saved. Well, you can imagine Paul and Barnabas in particular are not crazy about this and they decide to have a debate with them. Uh, they say, no, no, that's not how it works. That's not how the gospel works. Uh, we're saved by God's grace through faith. And actually, a dissension starts to break out in the church. Some people are saying, I don't know. These, these folks from Jerusalem, maybe what they're saying is right. Some people are staunch, standing there with Paul and Barnabas. And actually, almost starts to break and to split the church. That's how big this issue becomes. So the church very wisely says, we need some outside help here. And they decide to send them to Jerusalem. And uh, head there and let these big shots there in Jerusalem, the apostles, let them deal with this issue, let them come to a conclusion, and then they can send us their decision. But you can imagine, as they're going there, Paul and Barnabas, they're so sure that it's by grace alone through faith alone, it's not even a question for them, they stop along the way, as it says here, visit some of the churches along the way, encourage the brothers with the gospel, they're not going to waste a trip to Jerusalem. So they're so certain of the gospel of grace through faith that they're not willing to, to uh, even waste a trip 
They're out there ministering, doing mission work as they're heading to Jerusalem. They get back to Jerusalem, uh, and both sides tell their story. Here's what's going on. And what happens is, uh, well, before we get to what happens, before we get to the discussion, just let's look for a second a little bit more at that, verses 1 through 5. Friends, still today, still today, this disagreement goes on. How do you answer the question, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And the scriptures answer that question very simply, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. See, the interesting thing is, all religions, all religions answer this question by saying something that you must do. There's a particular ritual that you have to engage in. There's a specific ceremony that you have to undergo in order to be saved. Or there's a moral standard that you have to live up to, whatever that standard is. There's a list of do's or do nots. And if you are too far in the do not list, you don't make it. If you're enough in the do list, then you do make it. Friends, there's a, there's, in all religions, there's this mentality that there's something we must do. But here's the heart of the gospel, friends. Here's the heart of what Jesus taught. It's nothing that we do. It's all been done by God and is granted to us by grace when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus. That's the gospel. You know, one, one uh, way I like to sort of test, one test on this, I like to look at the thief on the cross, right? You know, the man who died next to Jesus. Actually, we call him a thief. He almost certainly was not a thief. Uh, the word there, the Greek word used there could mean a thief, uh, but it can also mean a zealot or an insurrectionist, somebody who's risen up against the state. Uh, the truth is Rome would not bother crucifying a thief. I mean, if somebody steals a loaf of bread, you just cut his arm off, right? That's what they did. It's kind of brutal, but that's what you did. You didn't bother with having this whole crucifixion, having a centurion waste his time and all this for a simple thief. But an insurrectionist, somebody who's rebelling against the state, you want to make an example out of him, that's what they did with Jesus. He's claiming to be a king. There's no other king but Caesar. Time to make an example of him. So this man who dies next to Jesus puts his faith in Christ right there at the last moment. And what happens? Jesus says, today... You'll be with me in paradise, or you'll be with me in heaven. You'll be with me at the, at the Father's side in the end. Now, what did he have to do to be saved? <laughs> he had to get baptized, right? Now, there's no time for him to get baptized. He's literally dying. He'll be dead in a few hours. He had to make sure he confessed all of his individual sins to Jesus. Then he could be forgiven. No, not at all. Didn't have time to do that, didn't have, didn't have the breath in his lungs to do that. He had to get circumcised, he had to go under a certain ritual, he had to go to church, he had to become a member of a church, none of that. He had no time for any of that. All he had time to do is turn and look to Christ who's dying next to him for grace. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Friends, I think these Judaizers have misunderstood and underestimated the gospel. Some could say, well, what's their problem here? Is it that they're looking intentionally to deceive the church? I think in this case, we call them Judaizers, by the way. Uh, that's not in the scriptures. Uh, it's just a common term used to describe them because they're trying to Judaize. They're trying to make converts to Judaism. So that's why they're sometimes called Judaizers. I think in their case, they just haven't understood the fullness of the gospel. I think they think that Jesus is sort of an add-on. We got sort of our, our long history of of faith, of being Israel, and Jesus is sort of one more prophet, sort of added on the top, and all these Gentiles are welcome to come, so long as they convert back to 
Judaism. They haven't understood the fullness. There are others, of course, who are more actively looking to deceive. They're, they're looking to cause confusion. So you do have both uh, those in Scripture. We have the, both of those today. Those who have just not understood the fullness of the gospel. And those who are actually looking to corrupt and hurt and destroy the Christian faith by false teaching. But friends, let's make sure that we guard the gospel of grace. We guard this teaching. We understand this clearly, that we are saved by nothing that we can do, but only by the grace of God through faith. And I would just say, I think it needs to be said here, this is where Roman Catholics and us differ greatly. Uh, we have a good relationship. I have a good relationship with many Roman Catholics. I have a good relationship with even the Catholic priests here in Haverhill. Uh, I've had a chance to meet them, the, the priest at um, All Saints, uh, the priests at uh, Sacred Hearts, very nice men. Um, but here, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to how we are saved, we have a radically different view. We are not saved by a ceremony or a sacrament or anything that we undergo of our own doing and ability. We are saved by God's grace that is transferred to us only by faith in His Son. And by the way, they would agree. There is a distinction. There is a major distinction when it comes to that issue. Now, understand, too, that much of the Christian life is not about how we're saved. It's about how we grow and mature. So yes, these are good. Reading the Bible is a good thing. <laughs> it just doesn't save you. Praying is a great thing to do. But praying isn't what saves you. Being baptized is something that Jesus calls all of us to do as Christians who follow Him. But being baptized doesn't save you. Being a member of a church is an important thing. We're having this membership class coming up. Being a member means something. It's, it's something that matters. You're saying, this is my church family. I'm part of this body. But it doesn't save you. Living a life of love and compassion, self-sacrifice and care for others. Those are all excellent things, necessary things for the call of the Christian life. But none of them save us. saves us. What saves us is Christ alone. And there are many things, friends, honestly, that are neutral. Uh, they're not bad. They're not good. You know, candles, you know, when we worship, beautiful art when we worship, chanting, uh, sitting in silence, beautiful architecture. Those are all parts of different types of uh, Christian faiths. And they're, they're, they're not bad. They're not good. They're, they're just there. They can be good. They can be bad. But none of them have the power to save us. Even that's true, I think, when we look at other religions. There's, there's much about other religions that we can say is absolutely admirable. It's, it's amazing to see the commitment and the dedication. Uh, as uh, Paul and I and my son, we spent some time in, in Tibet, or uh, in a Tibetan refugee camp. We went to a Tibetan monastery and got to sort of sit in on their worship service and their commitment, their dedication, their detailed worship. There's something very admirable about that. I don't have a problem saying their, their commitment to meditation, to prayer, to study. Those are all good things. But they can do nothing to save us. I have a joke. It's a bad one, just so you know. All right, so I'm going to say that right from the start. There was this one monk who was so devoted, so dedicated to his time of meditation and prayer that over time he grew calloused on his knees and calloused all over his hands because of the time he spent on his knees in prayer. He spent so much time fasting that his body grew weak and he grew fragile. He didn't care for his health, and so his dental work was way off and had problems with his mouth. In time, he became a super fragile 
Callus mystic, hex by halitosis. That's bad, isn't it? I know. My son is looking there. Oh, Dad, you didn't actually use that joke, did you? But yes, we can admire the commitment, the dedication, but that's not what saves us. And the reason for that is very simple. It's too high a price to pay. We don't have what it takes to save ourselves. We don't have the works that could earn it for us. We don't have the righteousness. We don't have the sacrifice that would be sufficient for us. Only Christ has that, and he gives it to us freely and by grace alone. It's everything we hear is either law or grace when you think about it. It's either you must do this, this list of things, in order to earn yourself a place before the Lord, or it's God has done it for you and you receive it by his grace. Look what happens in the council. Verses 6 through 18. Be clear that it's grace through faith that saves us. It's grace through faith that saves us. Verse 6 says, The apostles and elders gathered together. They want to consider this matter. There's much debate. And who stands up first? Peter. And he decides, I'm going to, so basically they have to take turns going through the, the uh, through uh, speaking at this, this sort of Jerusalem council. The first one that speaks is Peter. He's the one who walked with Jesus for three years during his ministry. He says, God chose me. You know that. that I'm a unique leader in the church. Uh, when Jesus, uh, even among the twelve, you can see Peter had a specific place, I think, of leadership among that group. When Jesus was speaking to Peter, he said, upon this rock I will build my church. He may have been talking about Peter. Some believe he's talking about his confession that Jesus is the Christ. But nevertheless, he says it to Peter. Peter, in the earliest chapters of Acts, as Mitch preached, uh, whatever, a couple months ago there, he's the one who, after Pentecost preaches, he's sort of the leader. He takes the lead, and he says, and not only that, in chapter 10, which we did not cover together on a Sunday morning, he leads the first Gentile, out-and-out Gentile, to faith in Jesus. And that Gentile is an Italian. So any of our Italians here? The first Gentile was an Italian uh, named Cornelius. And so he's saying, it's by my mouth that the Lord brought the gospel even to the Gentile world. And he's saying, look, if we look at what God did, he gave the Holy Spirit to Cornelius, and it had nothing to do with what Cornelius did. It had nothing to do with circumcision. It had nothing to do with his righteousness. It had everything to do with his faith. It's the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus has made clear through Cornelius, through my preaching of the word, he's saying that it's by grace through faith alone. And he even gives him a warning. He says, don't put God to the test here. There's a bit of a, a, a warning, a caution here. If we try to get and go beyond what God has already told us, there may be a, a danger in doing that. God has already made clear. It's faith. It's grace through faith. Don't put works on top of that. And I love what he says here. We're going to try to put a yoke on the neck of, of those, of the, of the Gentiles, that we ourselves couldn't bear. And we can't obey the law. We as Jews, he's saying, haven't been able to obey the law. We mess up all the time. That's the whole history of Israel is them at times rebelling against God, God bringing his judgment and then showing mercy and bringing them back. And now we want to take that same law and put it on these Gentiles and tell them they have to obey it. It doesn't work for us. It's not going to save them either. Next, Paul and Barnabas get up and they basically kind of give us the practitioner's perspective. Since they're, probably, they're kind of the one being judged here, or they're the, ones, they're, they're the ones that are bringing the argument, they just say, hey, I want to just tell you what's been happening. We've been going out through this entire Gentile world, and people have been going, and we've seen God work miraculously, and people have been coming to faith in Jesus. These Gentiles are receiving the Lord, and their lives are being changed. That's just what's happening out here in this world. And then James, who speaks last, and he is sort of the leader, uh, 
you know, we think Peter was sort of the leader of the early church, sometimes that's said, but Peter was more the leader of the apostles as they go forth. James seems to be sort of the, the pastor of the Jerusalem church. He gets the last word. This is James, by the way, the brother of Jesus, not James the apostle. Uh, so Jesus had brothers. You might say, if you're new to this, you might say, how could he have brothers? I thought he was born of a virgin. Yeah, when he was born, he was born of a virgin. But later on, Mary had other sons. One of them was James. So you might say, what, what would it be like growing up as Jesus' little brother, by the way? Can you imagine that? In one sense, it must have been like, well, he's the nicest, kindest, most gentle older brother you could ever have, right? But it must be frustrating saying, he is literally perfect. <laughs> he never actually does anything wrong, ever. Not like a really good older brother, like the best that you could be. But nevertheless, trying to live up to that standard. But James actually becomes a believer in, in his brother, recognizing he calls himself a servant of the Lord Jesus, not the brother of the Lord. And he gets the last word. And what does he add to it? He says, look at the prophets. Look to the book. What does the scripture say? And he points to Amos chapter 9 and says that the day will come when the Gentiles will be saved by God's grace. But notice, friends, how the way that this council assesses this question. I think this is so important. They are trying to understand God's will, not create it. It's not about what they like or what they want or what they're, they're thinking about this issue. They're trying to listen to what God has done and is doing and what he has said in his word and then follow that. How is the Holy Spirit leading? What do we know from experience? And perhaps most importantly, what do the scriptures actually tell us about this? I think this is where many church councils have gone wrong. That's why I think a lot of Protestants and evangelicals, we don't like the idea of church councils. We don't think much about them. There have been a lot of church councils throughout 2,000 years of history. The Council of Nicaea, the Council of Chalcedon, the Council of Dort, the Council of um, Trent, and all these different councils throughout. And a lot of times we're very skeptical of them because I think for this reason, we think many of these councils are not trying to understand the will of God. They're trying to sort of create it by a, a bunch of people, you know, men and women, or just maybe most of them were probably just men gathered around coming to certain types of decisions. That's not what's going on here. You can see that these men are genuinely trying to understand what God is saying in his word and what he's saying, what he's doing by his spirit. You know, I was, I'm part of a board, I'm part of the board of directors for Baptist churches in New England here. And uh, just was on the board, went to my first board meeting a few months ago. So impressed with these, this group of board members seeking the Lord's will. We had a surplus budget for the, the state, uh, for, for New England, and we had a church building that, was, uh, that we didn't have a use for. And so the thought, the, the, the motion came up where we could sell this church building to another church that needs it. And you can just see, it's almost sense the Holy Spirit working among the directors saying, let's just give this church away. The Lord has given us, has blessed us, well, almost give it away. We had a little bit of debt we wanted to take care of with it. Lord has blessed us with a surplus. Let's bless this other church who probably could never pay it back in 30 years. Let's give it to them. You see men seeking what God is doing. Not trying to just, just, just force God's hand. But seeking what God is doing. And friends, I want that to be true of our church as well. Certainly want that to be true of us. We're not trying to, to force God's hand. We're trying to understand his will. <laughs> we meet together as staff members. When, when we meet together as elders. When we meet together as church body. What are we doing? We're looking to God and seeing what he's doing, trying to follow his will. But friends, specifically in this case, the council was trying to understand 
Grace through faith. What does it take to be saved? It takes grace through faith. And to do that, they look at first the Holy Spirit and his work through history, particularly in the past there with Cornelius, and recognize that, that it's been clearly grace through faith when it comes to history. And friends, if you look at, here's the great thing, is we get to live 2,000 years later, so we have even more history to look at. Some people say, I wish I lived in the time of Jesus. Uh, I, we do live in the time of Jesus, right here and right now, for one thing, right? But one of the blessings about living now is we have 2,000 years of watching the church make all the mistakes and all the issues that have gone before us we can learn from. And one thing we see again and again, that every revival and every major work of the Lord comes through faithful prayer and clear gospel preaching, the gospel of grace. Every revival comes from the clarity of the gospel. That's grace alone, through faith alone, and through prayer. They also look at what God is doing now. <laughs> look to experience. That's what Paul and Barnabas bring to the table. And we do the same, friends. How did you yourself come to be saved? Was it because you were such a good person? No, it's because God in his mercy reached down to you. He worked it in your life by his Holy Spirit. Galatians 3, 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You heard the good news. You believed and God began to work in your life. And not just in your life. Look at the lives around you. <laughs> Is God choosing only the good people to save? Absolutely not. He's choosing anyone who turns to him in faith. And certainly around the world. When you look at his work right here and right now around the world, it's by the gospel of grace through faith. And then thirdly, look to the Bible, as James leads us here. What do the scriptures actually say about this? All throughout the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, it has nothing to do with our personal righteousness. In fact, when you look at every major character, as I'm, I'm you know, I reading the scriptures together and our family devotions and things like that, every major character is flawed. Every one of them eventually shows their sin. And God demonstrates that it's by his own grace that he saves us when we trust in him. Look to the scriptures. What does the scriptures say? Not just what do I feel about this issue, but the scriptures are clear. Simply faith, trust in the God's grace and his mercy, particularly in Jesus. Friends, why does this matter? This matters because one day we will all face God, right? One day we're going to pass on from this world or Christ's going to return and we will face him. And the question will be, what brings you to glory? <laughs> what enables you to be part of those who will be with the Lord forever? Is it because you've been a good person? Is it because you've undergone a specific ritual or a specific ceremony? Because you've been an upstanding citizen and you haven't broken certain commandments or whatever it may be? Or is it going to be nothing in my hands I bring? Simply to the cross I cling. The rock of ages cleft for me. Trusting in Christ and Him alone. And then verses 19 to 21. Live in witness to salvation by grace through faith. Live and witness to salvation by grace through faith. So James says, verse 19, this, therefore, my judgment. So that word judgment most likely is a semi-technical term. He's saying, here's the final, here's the final say. Here, here's the conclusion of this matter. We need to stop troubling these Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, he also says, I agree. I agree with Simeon. That's another name for Peter. Uh, he's right in this issue. Uh, we are saved by God's grace through faith alone. That's the, final, that's the final verdict when it comes to this issue. But then he adds, but we should write to abstain from certain things. And he asks him to abstain from these, this list of four things. We'll look more closely at that in just a minute. 
And uh, then he says, hey, this, none of these four things should be surprising to anybody because Moses is pretty well known throughout the Roman Empire. So everybody's heard of these things. Now, what's the point of these four different things? The four things are, uh, I, I asked them to abstain from the things polluted by idols. So much of the meat that was eaten that day came from temples. <laughs> they were sacrificed lambs and things like that, whether that's the temple in Jerusalem or whether that's the temples in, these pagan world, in, the, in the pagan world. Most of the meat came from them. The vast majority of it came from them. Can you eat it as Christians? That's the question. Can you eat this meat that's been sacrificed to an idol? Uh, the meat, then the sexual immorality, which was, of course, a moral issue, but also had a clear connection to idolatry. Uh, much of the pagan religions used sexual things in, in their worship. From what has been strangled, again, clearly connected to uh, uh, pagan worship and from blood, the drinking of blood straight. That's the four things he says I'm asking all of them to avoid. Now the question is, what are these four things? And if some have said, well, these are what he's saying are now required to be saved. Well, of course not. That would be a direct contradiction of what he's just said. He said, I agree with Simeon. I agree with Peter. It takes nothing but the grace of God through faith that saves us. He wouldn't then, therefore, immediately contradict himself and say, and you have to obey these four things. So that's not what he's saying. I think what he's saying is these things here are good. And that they are, he says that later on, these are good things. And that in the spirit of unity with the Jews, let's be sensitive to these four specific areas. I think that's the consistent teaching of the New Testament. You see that in the Apostle Paul as well. He teaches that if these things are a stumbling block, particularly the issue of eating idol, idolatrous meat, if that's a stumbling block to someone else, don't eat it. If nobody cares, eat it. It's just meat. It's no different than any other meat. Just because it was sacrificed somewhere makes it no bad. No, doesn't make it bad. It is what it is. Just eat the meat. But if it's a stumbling block, be cautious. And I think that's the idea. Are these authoritative? Yes, they were for the early church because the church has asked them to beware of these four things because they are a stumbling block to the Jews. But I think that principle carries on to be cautious not to be a stumbling block to others. Now, what about these four things in particular? Do we have to obey these four things? I mean, generally speaking, I don't think there's going to be too much of an issue with them. Um, I was having a conversation with a chef just this week about blood. Um, I'm not a fan of blood sausage. Anyone here eat blood sausage? All right, so I don't think it's a sin to eat blood sausage or eat a really rare steak or some people with blood in soup. So I guess in some contexts we eat blood. I don't think it's a sin to do that. But again, if it were to cause stumbling for somebody else, they would think of that as an evil thing or a pagan thing. That's what he's telling us to be aware of. The point is, friends, to live and witness to salvation by grace through faith. Friends, first live it. Before you tell anybody about it, live it. Recognize that it's God's grace alone that saves you. That your faith is in the Lord Jesus and that and that alone is good enough to bring you to him. Be happy. <laughs> Be happy. You know, if you're not a happy person, you haven't understood this gospel. You haven't understood the fact that God redeems sinners like you and me by his grace. Let it be brought, bring you to worship. Let it bring you to gratitude. And then welcome others on board. Welcome others on board, friends. How, how do I get to know God? Very simply, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Put your trust in Him. Let folks know this. It says James uh, Taylor was talking about going into the neighborhood this week. You know that it's, it's, it's a good news. We have a good message. We're not telling anybody bad news. <laughs> We're not walking up to anybody and telling them scary news. We're telling them good news that the Lord Jesus wants to know you personally. 
that God has made it possible for us to be redeemed and to have a relationship with him. Who doesn't want to tell people good news, right? It's good news that we're telling people. Let folks know that God welcomes you on board. (laughs) The ticket to this ship comes by grace through faith. Try to remove stumbling blocks. Certainly there are things that may be a stumbling block to people and you don't want to let those things get in the way. For example, like these four things that he says when when, when, uh, the Jews and Gentiles are coming together in a church, these four things could get in the way. Uh, For example, when in Nepal, uh, it's probably a good idea not to smuggle beef into the country, uh, which is what I did accidentally. So I uh, I brought some beef jerky. Maybe you guys heard the story, but uh, when I went to Nepal the first time, uh, Jess, I said, I need some snacks, and she got me some snacks, and among that was beef jerky. I didn't know until after I went there that that's actually illegal to bring that into the country. So uh, I didn't get in any trouble, though. I sort of stashed it in another box and covered it up and, and tried to eat it as fast as I could at the next stop. So <laughs> Paul's shaking his head here. So don't bring beef into Nepal or to India. That's an example. Or pork into Muslim countries or into Israel. I would think that's probably a good, a good way to do it. But there are other issues, too, even right here in the United States, depending on where you are. In this country, there are things that sort of end up being a stumbling block to people. I'll give, you an exa- I'll give you some examples, but I'm cautious to do this because maybe you're sensitive to some of these issues. And I don't want to be sticking in your face, but I know some places in this country celebrating Halloween, right? Some places, the only, only, non- only bad people celebrate Halloween. That's the devil's holiday. Uh, so I mean, if you're in an area where that's a big stumbling block, I would just say avoid it. You don't want to be known as the guy who celebrates Halloween. I and mean, that's not what the issue is. But I would say, if it's not an issue, it's a great opportunity actually for outreach, to get to know your neighbors and spend some time with them. I think alcohol is another example of that. Uh, Nothing in scripture uh, forbids uh, drinking alcohol. In fact, uh, just very simply, this should put an end to the issue, Jesus drank wine. Not sure where you go with that if you have a problem. Now, if you're an alcoholic, if you're someone who struggles with this, yes, wisdom would say to abstain. There's certainly no need to drink it. But there's also, again, that's one of those issues I think that wisdom would call us to make a good decision. Tobacco is the same thing. Uh, don't choke, don't chew it, don't smoke it, don't, don't vape it. That's the thing. Some of you guys don't even know what vaping is, right? But that's kind of the big issue today. The big issue is vaping today. But when it comes to tobacco, you know, Scripture mentions nothing about tobacco. <laughs> if you know that, right? Nothing in Scripture says that it's wrong to smoke tobacco. Tobacco is just a plant. Uh, it has a reaction to kill bugs, uh, which is... Uh, nicotine. Uh, Nothing in scripture says it's wrong. But if some people have a real issue with it, again, be sensitive to that. I think that watching R-rated movies, right? That's if you grew up in a Christian culture, no R-rated movies except the passion of the Christ, right? That's the only exception to that rule. But again, if that's a stumbling block and then listening to certain types of music, I think is another one that some Christians are very sensitive to. Some people are very sensitive to. Uh, I don't know how many people, how many people have ever seen that movie Hell's Bells? A couple people, right? Yeah. That movie scared me really bad as a little kid. So I was always very cautious about saying rock and roll must be evil because, you know, Hell's Bells tells me that it is. Uh, I don't think so. No, that's not how it works. But again, the idea here is maybe there are some areas that we should be particularly sensitive of. Don't want to be a stumbling block to other people, even if, yes, in Scripture, we certainly have that freedom. We're saved by grace through faith, but we don't use that grace as a stumbling, to be a stumbling block to others. Friends, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Be wary of those who teach otherwise. Be clear in your own heart and mind and tell others this good news with sensitivity. 
Friends, grace is what makes this good news. If our message as Christians is just another religion, just another set of do's and don'ts, that's not good news, that's old news. And in the end, that's bad news. Because I can't be that good in and of myself. Our message is good news because this is a message that changes lives from the inside. It changes lives from the heart. It changes lives radically. Pray with me. Our gracious Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, Lord, that your early church wrestled with this issue and settled it from the beginning. Thank you, Lord, that, though there, is, that there is no ritual or ceremony or tradition that we can do to make ourselves right with you. But the good news, Lord, is that you have done all the work for us in your son, Jesus. That he came, that he lived a sinless and perfect life as a ransom and as a sacrifice for us. That he laid down his life for us, your people. That he paid the price for us to make us your own. And that through faith in Jesus, trust in him as Lord, as Savior over our lives, we are saved. Saved from judgment, saved from the penalty of sin, yes, but more than that, infinitely more than that, saved to know you. Saved to experience your presence, not just in this life, but for all eternity. Father, I pray that this gospel, this message would be forever in our hearts, Lord would cause us to be joyful, would cause us to be grateful, would cause us to worship, and that this message of the gospel of grace would ever be on our lips, that we would share this good news with all those that we love. And your word tells us to love our neighbor, even as ourself. And that we'd be about sharing this gospel, not only to our own community right here, but as we celebrated last night, to the ends of the world. We love you and we thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.